morning is broken and the Lord has given us a new day. This is the day the Lord has made. He made it for you and He made it for me. And we're here this morning to celebrate Him and to worship together. So I'm going to ask you to stand please as we begin our service. Welcome to First Baptist St.
just going to be seeking for us as the deer.
Word of God. So if you want faith, that's where it's going to come from. It's going to come from God's Word. That's what Scripture says. So if you're ignoring it, your faith's not going to grow. But if you want it to grow, you've got to be in God's Word. Now we saw a couple of weeks ago the church grew incrementally. It went from 120 to 3,120 in a flash. We got to those numbers by this. Acts 1.15 says this. And those days Peter stood up among the believers together, the crowd numbered about 120. That's the early church right after Jesus was ascended. In chapter 2, verse 41, not long after, when a lot of preaching is going on, everybody's excited about Jesus rising from the grave, Peter preached and it says, those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added just that day. So we've gone from 120 to 3,000 new members in one day. Now think about it. All of those members needed to learn the truth. They come from all sorts of backgrounds. Some were Jewish. Some were pagan. Some worshipped the craziest things you and I could ever imagine. And others had nothing. But all of a sudden, they're thrown together in a church. And all of a sudden, they're Christians. And what did they need? They needed the truth. They needed their lives to be set on a straight course. They needed to learn. Now, the order of Acts 2.42, if you know me pretty well, you know I'm a big proponent of prayer. Acts 2.42, the, the order of it all bothered me. Look at it again. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. It seemed to me that prayer should be the first thing on the list. That's just kind of the way I am, and that's an emphasis in my life, and I always thought that should be prayer, should be first, but after I gave it some thought, prayer's a learned behavior, isn't it? It has to be taught. And so before the praying comes, before the church becomes a praying church, it has to be taught, and taught why they had to be taught. Teaching is so important and so vital for our spiritual growth. Without the proper foundation, you're going to be devastated. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning. Let me give you a couple of examples of people not prepared and then things got bad because they weren't biblically grounded. William Miller came to Christ in the early 19th century. Lived in New England and he became a pastor. He immersed himself in the study of the book of Daniel. He got just all consumed with biblical prophecy. And so after studying for 15 or so years, William Miller announced that Jesus would return to earth sometimes in 1843 or 1844. And he eventually nailed down a date. And he was very popular and had a big gathering, a big following. They call him Millerite. And he said he was coming back October the 22nd, 1844. It was a Tuesday. So thousands of people gathered for the second coming. They gathered on mountaintops, thinking they'd be the first one up. Because they were closer. Some gathered in graveyards, so that when the graves opened up, they could escort their loved ones. They thought I'd be close to that. Philadelphia Society ladies met on the edge of town because they didn't want to enter the kingdom of God with the common people, so they wanted to be in their own little groups. Some people borrowed money, thinking they'd never have to return it. 
what are they going to do? As you know, Jesus did not return on October the 22nd, 1844. And the event became known as the Great Disappointment. The Great Disappointment. Henry Emmons, who was a Millerite, later wrote in his diary, I waited all day Tuesday, and dear Jesus did not come. I waited all the morning of Wednesday and was well in body as I ever was, but after 12 o'clock I began to feel faint. And before dark I needed someone to help me up to my chamber as my natural strength was leaving me very fast. I lay prostrate for two days without any pain, sick with disappointment. It's happened since 1844, Harold Camping, 2012. If you remember there were billboards on the highway, give it a day. Now, if you're not biblically literate, and if you're not taught correctly, you could fall for that hook, line, and sinker, and then be horribly devastated when it doesn't happen. If all those people had been grounded in Scripture, they would have known that it's impossible to set a date. And why is it impossible to set a date? Because David says so? No. Because that's in the book. Look at Matthew chapter 24. About that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angel in heaven or the Son. Jesus doesn't know. Only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. As in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. They knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away, so too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Two will be in the field, one will be taken, and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together. One will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. Now the sad thing is that surely William Miller had read Matthew 20. But he thought, you know, maybe I know better. Scripture teaches us that only God the Father knows. Thousands of people were duped and disappointed because they were not taught properly. And we have to be careful because there's false teachers out there. And I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to go home and read Matthew 24. We have to be so careful. Another example in modern day is sad and true. There's another good example. Many churches today all across this world are teaching the prosperity gospel. You've seen it. You've heard it. It's in the TV. It's on the bookstore. The essence of the teaching is that if you love God enough and, and have enough faith, you'll have a rosy path. Any problems with that? There's a lot of problems with that. They're preaching that you're not going to have problems or flat tires or split ends or disease or accidents and no financial worries and your kids are going to be perfect. And I'm sorry, that's a lie from the pits of hell and it smells like smoke. <laughs> but it's popular. And it is today. But it's not what the Bible teaches at all. And this kind of teaching has caused more hurt and confusion than we will ever know. People go and they hear this and then they go back to reality. 
And all of a sudden they think, God's not real because that's not true. It's not that God's not real, it's that they were lying to The problem is that they were subject to false doctrine. And Jesus tried to prepare us for this. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 3, says this. Jesus told a parable, and then we're going to look at how he explains the parable. Jesus said, listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed, and he scattered it across the field. Some of the seed fell on a footpath, birds, they came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock, and the seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns and grew up and choked out the tender plants. They produced no grain. And still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as much as had been planted. Then he said, anyone with ears should listen and understand. So the disciples asked him, what's that mean? And he starts in verse 15 and explains the parable. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. So some people hear the truth, but then Satan comes and tries to take it from them. The seed on the rocky soil, verse 16, represents those who hear the message immediately receive it with joy, but since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's words. I understand that. That happens. Problems come. People even persecuted. What did Jesus say? In this world you will have tribulation. That's what he said. Verse 18. The seed that fell among the thorns represented others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of life, the lure of wealth, the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. Problems. Difficulties. And they're not but the ones who are prepared. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, even 100 times as much as had been planted. Jesus here plainly lets us know that we're going to have difficulties. And today there are thousands of people, millions of people perhaps, angry at God because of difficulties in their lives. And their faith was shattered because it was immature, and it was immature because they weren't taught. I'm so thankful that I grew up in a house and in a church that taught me God's Word. This building right here is the one across the street. And the house on the other corner. This corner is pretty important. It saved me from so many pitfalls in life. Let me give you one example that I'm glad to have followed. 2 Corinthians 6.14 was drilled into my head as a kid. Do not be mismatched with unbelievers. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? What fellowship is there between light and darkness? Now that was drilled into my head by my parents and by the youth directors in our church. And it was all about marriage. Don't be mismatched with an unbeliever. Now as a teenager, we had our list of who we would wanted to marry. Or a picture of Farrah Fawcett. But we had different things about people that we wanted to marry. And at the top of it, of course, was good looking, and then there was Reg, and then there was, you know, and all of it. And then God tells us this. Maybe the best, 
I hate to put it as the best advice I was ever given, but it is. So vital. Because on my list of who to marry was a Christian. And it made my life so wonderful because I'm not unequally yoked. That wasn't an option for me. So I was taught. And that saved me. So we call our children that as well. And I didn't know my daughter and son-in-law were going to be here to end my perfect granddaughter. I did not know they were going to be here. But we taught them that. And both Taylor and Ellen heeded that command. Taylor married a wonderful Christian girl named Stephanie, and Ellen married a wonderful Christian young man named Charles. And a result of that, they're way ahead of me. Now what we've already done is we started praying for our grandchildren. Before they were born, Jackson and then Annabelle and now Emerson, that if this world continues and one day they choose a spouse, then it's going to be when Ellen Emerson is, what, 40, Charles, maybe when you let her out of the house, that it'd be a perfect Christian young man from a Christian home who was taught right. Because honestly, it's hard enough as it is, isn't it? It's hard enough as it is. So, now we're praying for our The Bible from cover to cover teaches us how to live. So we need to devote ourselves to God's Word. To be active, not only here in study school, whatever, but at home to study God's Word. You'll be very blessed. It's been five years or so. A friend of mine, a funeral director, called me. He said, you're not going to believe what I have to do. A lady whose husband had passed away maybe five, ten years before was very religious. And she felt that God told her that she needed to go dig her husband up and he'd come back to life. And so... My funeral director friend said she was very persistent, so she arranged the body to be exhumed. And they brought a truck to haul away the casket and the vault because they were they were convinced that she was convinced he would come back. So they dug the grave, opened the casket, and the woman and some people from her church that had gotten sidetracked and away from God's word stood over the casket and jumped up and down and hooped and hollered and did everything they could until they realized it wasn't going to happen. Could you have told them it wasn't going to happen? Scripture says it's appointed for man to die once and after that judgment. That's what the word says. But they got sidetracked. It is so important that we don't get sidetracked, that we learn from cover to cover. It's why we gather, and it's also why we do this at home. But we've got a lot of ground to cover. But when we cover that ground, it helps us to grow in our faith and not to experience a great disappointment. Thank God for the truth. You shall know the truth, and it will set you free. Let's pray again. <coughs> Lord, maybe I didn't understand being drugged to church as a kid, made to go to Sunday school and RAs and sunbeams and moonbeams and Monday night and all of the things, then encouraged to read my Bible daily. 
Wow, I understand this. Father, thank you for lives that are biblically prepared. For lives that can deal with the difficulties that do come. For faith that grows because our faith comes from hearing and our hearing comes straight from your word. Not from what we think, not from what others tell us, but from your word. So Lord, help us to be devoted to that. Help us to be a teaching church. Father, help us to grow through that. And Father, help us in this room to take every advantage we can of being taught. Give us all teachable spirits, all of us. And Father, thank you together as your people for your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you this week as you are in the week.